Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Hello, and welcome to Season 33, Episode 10 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. I'm Jay. And I'm Clara. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the pros and cons of running pre-written adventures at your table. And then we have some emails sent in. Mike is planning to publish adventures and wants to know what to include and if there's hope for small publishers. And Charger347 talks about making magic items that aren't too complicated. If you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Or we also have a new channel in the Discord now. So if you want to just post stuff there in the mailbag channel, you can just do that. And that's easy too. So do the thing. And people have been. I really appreciate how many emails and stuff we've gotten in. I really, Mm -hmm. good job. Everyone pat yourself in the back. Nice job. Give yourself a high five. You got your marching orders and you marched. It's just clapping, but that's fine. Kimmy said jump and you said how high. (laughs) (laughs) Which I appreciate. And we all said thank you. Roll for for dexterity. (laughs) (laughs) Jump. Yes. All right. Announcements. So sorry about last week. We did cancel the show at the last minute. We had a safety advisory in the LA area. We don't get rain a lot. So when we get any amount of rain, our streets can't handle it and they become flood zones. So literally we all like about an hour before the show, we all got like the emergency alert that there was an advisory, a no travel advisory in LA for a while. So we can't handle any rain, but we also got a ridiculous amount of rain. It was, yeah, yeah it was a especially that. In one day. I, I was trapped in my apartment. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. A, the phrase "atmospheric river" was tossed around quite a few times. Yeah, like, yeah. not just a rainstorm. Yeah. No, oh, no, and then the earthquake too. Oh, my oh God. yeah, then we had an earthquake. Super, yeah. super great. Anyway, so for our own safety, we did decide to call the show last. We sorry we did we send it out on social media. Sorry we didn't give you more notice, but it was for safety reasons, and it ended up being a very good call. My street was a river. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. really bad. And by river, mean like three feet deep, four mm-hmm. feet, like mm-hmm. real, literal yeah. rivers. You have to know how bad the streets are in LA when people are are not parking their cars there because there's really good parking on my street. And so yeah. people aren't using it. That means there's a real problem. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. their car might be floating away. away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, Orcon is coming up this next weekend. So February 16th through the 19th at the LAX Hilton. We're going to do our live show Saturday night at 7.30. A bunch of us are going to be running games, both stuff that's on the schedule and in Games on Demand downstairs in the basement. Um, yeah, that's where they put the weird indie players <laughs> down in the basement. But it actually is really nice and quieter down there, so we really appreciate it. And so, yeah, if you're heading down that way, if you're in the LA area, it's worth it. Come check it out. It's a great local con. And we are there three times a year. And I'll be running games. And I would like to run games down there. You're like, that's where they cram the weird people in the base. And I'm like, didn't you just say I should run games on demand? I mean, that's where I'm running games. Too, I'm, so. I'm literally picturing 
the TV show Severance and that like weird set of cubicles that are down oh, there. Oh, sure. Like, a little, like not totally yeah. inaccurate. I'm going to find my your weirdest game. Goes game. Well, you get a waffle party. Yeah. Little pods of people just enjoying rolling their dice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, their cards. Yeah, I'm going to find my weirdest game that isn't Let These Mermaids Touch Your Dick, maybe. <laughs> and we're going to play that. Yeah. We're not playing that one, the mermaid game, though it's bad. No, no, no. All right, and... Also, game days. The next Happy Jacks game days is March 2nd. And there's already a bunch of games posted. Some of them are filled. I forgot to look it up before the show, but last time I looked, there were six games already. So well done. It's amazing. So yeah, join the Discord, happyjacks.org slash Discord. Fully free. Go run games. Go play games. It's really a really amazing experience. And we do require safety tools. And it's just chef's kiss. Mm -hmm. Amazing community. All right. It is a new month. We were supposed to do this last Friday, but like we said, we were treading water. Indie Designer of the Month for February, I'm very excited, is Anna Landon. She, her. And you can find her work at annalandon.itch.io. And she also has a Patreon where you can go get all her games for $5 a month. And that's A-N-N-A-L-A-N-D-I-N. And Anna is a queer Swedish illustrator, comic artist, and game designer. And she's the one that wears all the hats at Tea Witch Games. She's not actually a witch, but she definitely is sipping the tea right now, though. Um, Probably asleep. Yeah, honestly. Her games on offer run the gamut from sweet and cozy to weird, sad, and spooky. Most of them are written for game jams and are intended for one-shot play, but there are bigger projects on the horizon. So, and her, her games are stunningly beautiful. And I have already talked to her about doing art for one of my upcoming games because the, the, the illustrations she does are just amazing. The first game of hers that completely caught my eye, so what we're talking about today, it's called Dust of the Traveled Road, has, I think, maybe my favorite cover for any game I've ever seen, ever. Mm. It's a beautiful cover. Go look at it. Where it's these three adventurers. Mm. They're all cool, badass-looking women. And then, like, this beautiful like it's dust because they're uh, traveling together but just this beautiful kind of flowing art that flows behind them it's just really pretty cool look at it yeah it's right there it's one of those things where you click on the page and your eyes like boom right there to it and it's just Mm. like i would like all of this please this picture is what i want to play right now this is the future liberals want yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) i was gonna say this is the fuel for my next inebriation and itch oh it's so dangerous yes anyway so Dust of the Travel Road, you will take on one of three roles, the knight, the adept, or the magus, and set out from the dreaming city. Sold. And it, huh? Sold. So immediately. <laughs> I'm sold. Oh, oh, go. Oh, I thought you said sold. I'm like, did nope. I do something wrong? Nope. Yes, no, 100%. The bizarre metropolis has been your home for some time. And to see the world beyond it together, you will, with your traveling companions, you will visit strange places, meet peculiar people, and gather dust, capitalized dust of this world until you reach the journey's end. Your journey will change you, and in turn, you might change the world. That's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Dust of the Travel Road, Traveled Road is a collaborative storytelling game for two to four players about venturing into the unknown, discovering new things, and letting your experiences change you. It is also a game about a small group of travelers on the road going to stranger places and the bonds you forge along the way. And it's amazing. It's so beautiful. And you can get it for $12 at annalandon.itch.io. This is the danger of itch. Yes. Is there like $12? And you're like, you know what that is? A little treat. And so like, if you're doing things around the house and you're like, oh, 
I just cleared out my entire closet. I deserve a little treat. <laughs> but why stop at 12 when you can get all your games for $5? Yeah. I know, and that's the problem. I know, right? That's it sounds current like in future games. This is what say. I'm saying. I yeah, so yeah. many games. I guess what I if gotta... I told you that today? We can bring you. <laughs> we can <laughs> get be... you in a 5K. <laughs> it's just me it at FedEx on Friday, just furiously photocopying games for games on demand. Like, all right, fuckers. <laughs> yeah. And, and just like the... Uh, the timeshare speech that you would get. That's the four hours of your life that you... Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, anyway. yeah, the LA Hilton has a good business center with a really big, like, major copy printer. It's like, print... <laughs> Just me like, all right, let's work through my itch collection. <laughs> yeah. I'll do this. It's actually an amazing concept. That'd be so cool. I... Yeah, not it's, bad. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... Anna's art is stunning. Her games are fantastic. Beautifully done. <laughs> Yeah, go check it out. And we'll talk about more of them through this month. And I'm very, very excited to have her as our Indie Designer of the Month for February. All right. Topic. And then I can stop talking for a few minutes. (laughs) How do you feel about playing and running pre-written adventures? And does it depend on the system? Does it depend on, like, the adventure? Do you like stuff that's put out by the companies only? Do you like stuff that's written by, like, third-party creators? All the things. This is a... It's going to be a long talk. Like, I feel like. mm. Yes. My answer is yes. Sorry. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I just had an existential <laughs> like, crisis about this. So I'm good. No, no. Do you, no, say your answer. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I'm going to go. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but anyway, uh, no. I have, I, I mean, I come from D&D. And so the majority of the games that I play are D&D. And so I have no problems with running pre-made modules. Lo- oh wow, that is gorgeous! Hold Can we just pulled up the dust of the traveled road art. Oh my god! And all of us just got hella distracted. Yeah, it's amazing. Beautiful. Yeah, that is that's fantastic. Yeah, sorry. I'm uh, actively trying not to pull my phone out and look at it. When yeah, it's- yeah, yeah. yeah. I just did it. Yeah, yeah I, I know. It. I just ruined it because I wanted to see it. We talked about it. I was like, Very I want to see the That was art. really great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Sorry. Back to the topic. <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, I mean, I come from D and D, and not only that, but I come from the D and D Adventures League primarily, and so everything in Adventures League is a pre-written module. So. It's really easy for D&D because there are a lot of not only first-party products, but really great quality third-party products mm-hmm. that make running a module super easy. Like what? Oh, like <laughs> the hardbound books for, for fifth edition, for example. Curse of Strahd is fantastic, well laid out. Uh, there's one called Tomb of Annihilation that's not without its problems, but overall, it's a fun module and it's got some really great encounters and, and interactions in there. There are some wonderful anthologies like Tales from the Radiant Citadel. That's a fantastic collection of adventures. And all of these are spectacularly written. They make it really easy to just pick up the book and kind of find the information that you need to kind of get going, right? But then there are also a variety of Adventures League modules like published either by uh, Wizards of the Coast or by independent writers who write their own modules for the Adventures League. Those are a little harder because there's not necessarily a whole lot of QC. And so some... What's QC? Oh, quality control. Oh, I see. Sorry. So, yeah, uh, not all the writers <laughs> no, write. I had no idea. No, no worries. No worries. Sorry. <laughs> could be uh, Yeah, no, it could be. It could be a lot of things. It could be Queen's Cavaliers or something. But some adventure authors, like, there's so much D&D material going on nowadays. The downside of that is that there are some folks who are kind of putting out material without really knowing what the best practices for writing are. Mm-hmm. And their modules can be a little harder to interpret. Yeah. But... Again, for 5th edition, a lot of support. 
there is no shortage either from the DMs Guild or from Itch or from third parties elsewhere. It's incredibly easy to run for that. Yeah. That's cool. Nice. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of all, we're to all those points. And I think the D&D especially, I think just by virtue of being such a massively popular and well-known game, there's a wealth of material for it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned some published, con- you mentioned some Wizards published stuff like Strahd and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was looking up a name, so I apologize if I was looking down for a second. There's a collection of anthologies called Uncaged that I really like. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Uncaged anthologies are amazing. Yeah, for those who are not in the know, which is not anybody in the room, apparently, (laughs) Uncaged are all written by by women, non-binary people, and they basically are a series of anthologies that take actual, like, female-centric folklore, but make it, like, female-forward. So it's, like, a lot of misunderstood monsters or a lot of villainized monsters are given kind of like a modern, like, or, or like more fleshed out, nuanced feminist one spin of, on them. One of our featured writers, a few, uh, does that, she was looking it up now. <laughs> one of our designers of the month was one of the writers of the Uncaged um, series. Yeah. yeah. I can remember which month it was. So it was June, Jessica Markram mm-hmm. uh, was here and she joined us in studio and she was one of the authors for that. I've had a really good time running those games for people. Yeah. Yeah. I think the anthologies especially or like the one-shot books are yes. great for people who like have a hard time getting together on a regular basis with people to play. It's a really good way of being like, okay, I know I have a game. If you're a DM, I know I have a game this weekend or in two weeks and I don't really know what I want to do. It's so great to be able to crack open a book, whether it's like I've been running a couple of games for the most recent anthology that, that Wizards put out, which is um, Keats and the Golden Vault, oh, yes. all mm-hmm. heist-based. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, I literally had one day where my friends who I've been playing a lot of Boulders Gate 3 with, one day I was like, hey, do you guys want to play just actual D&D? And <laughs> they were like, yeah, they haven't played in a while. And we just hopped on a call like an hour after I asked, and I was able to pull this book out and just like mm-hmm. run a real quick adventure. Yeah. Obviously, typically you want to do more work than that, but it's nice to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to build on what you were saying is that, like, you're right, there are a lot that don't necessarily know best practices and are straggling. So I think that if you read some ahead of time, even if there are premises that you like, even if you're not someone who always wants to run pre-made stuff, I do think it can be great as a way of kind of like giving yourself kind of a cheat sheet towards preparing your own adventure, (laughs) because you can still take what's published and printed and you can then take it and add your own things to it. Or you can go, oh, this detail here fits really well with the character that my player is playing. I'm going to tie these things together. And now you've kind of homebrewed up this. It's like taking it, like if, if you're homebrewing a cup of coffee, this is your creamer you're putting in or vice versa. Right. Like I'm modifying the recipe a little bit. And I think that as someone who, the way that I tend to, to GM is by running off what the players are choosing to do and, and following that through. A lot of times I do like using a pre-written module to begin with because it gives me the ability to like not spend a ton of time trying to prep a story that I might eventually kind of chuck out for what the players are following like that the hero is doing anyway. Yeah. But it's like, cool, I have this basic framework that I can get back to and I can focus instead on what is fun for me to do and what's fun for my group to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the... I did not plan this. This sweatshirt I'm wearing was made for a one shot we did from uh, like a pre-written one shot for Vampire over at Queen's Court. I just went through this existential crisis where I was like, I want to learn how to run game, uh, how to run Vampire specifically. 
World of Darkness has way too much lore for what it is. It's a lot, um, and they're and it and it's all continuous. Yeah, um, that's why they tried to get rid of it at one point, but then, then the it didn't audience stick. didn't didn't be happy about that. So, mm-hmm. so it's so, an honest path now, right? So the I feel like I was raised with this idea, it, this very the former gifted kid thing of like you can't run a game until you can write your own game because mm. your own adventure for it because then you have a full understanding of the game. That's incredibly untrue. That is a not true thing. That is a lie that I have told myself. And it's like, no, pre-written work is the best way to, if you want to get into running games, learning how to A, just organize a a campaign or like a, a game. And also like they've done the work for you. And then you get to do the heavy lifting of, the the secondary lifting of playing with your, uh, like, responding to how players act because no plan survives contact with players yeah but very specifically my favorite uh for vampire is we did dying uh, we did dying fields out of oh shit aaron's in the chat he knows what it's called he can post it. <laughs> um but it's the, the it's an anthology of of scenarios to get your vampires out of the city mm-hmm. and i love me some midwestern gothic <laughs> nonsense <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. As a Midwestern Gothic myself, I appreciate it. Columbus, Ohio vampire girl. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who literally loves vampire in Columbus, Ohio in public. Yeah. Perfect. Absolutely I, perfect. As someone who's played like a whole bunch of vampire, like I'm suddenly like picturing my character in the Midwest and how miserable that fucking venture would be. <laughs> no. It's so fucking miserable. Like, I'm sorry, I only have two bars of service on myself i cannot live like this <laughs> yeah not to get full of, let me tell you about my game yeah this is my favorite character i've ever played so far let the streets run red is what the anthology is called okay thank you Aaron. but wait 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 if we're in the middle like shouldn't it be like let the dirt road run red <laughs> there are like... streets in in the in the yeah, flyover wow. states i assume yeah, yeah. just we, feel like we the have pavement <laughs> i know but that's not like evocative of like what it's like get your get your trailers out of it. Like, like come on down to our vampire game blood in the corn <laughs> blood in the corn blood in the corn blood in the corn sounds like a stephen king book. That's, that's, that's that's a stephen yeah, king yeah, yeah yeah but yeah not to get fully like not to get fully like let me tell you about my game but my favorite tori door i've ever played was a americana kitsch loving toreador oh, i love it which so is much. why why this hold on here you go here <laughs> there's people it says kick today in the face which if you're a fair person is funny yeah and then the Pony literally has the Queen's Court symbol on oh, it. I shouldn't be allowed to make my own co- clothing anymore. But yeah, wonders what an iron-on will do. Anyway, long I'm story just, short. I'm just now caught up on the idea of a bunch of like, just like shit kicker vampires. Like, well, damn, it looks like we got ourselves a sabbat. <laughs> we did it. I'm obsessed with this idea. I'm Western. Yeah. Wait, wait. No, I know it's talk like that. I just need. I did. I'm from Ohio. This is how I talk. I've talked my whole life. I don't know why I suddenly made the person very. No, I, hey, I, yeah. I'd absolutely go country with it and just talk like this, and then start like channeling my Oklahoma roots right there, and then just like. I need Noah Holly to do a whole season of Fargo that has vampires in it. Like, I want oh, wow. Vampire Fargo more than I want yeah, anything perfect. else right now. Yeah. Well, Garen, I know you're in the chat. Make it happen. You know, the, I mean, the prince has definitely told us that we got to be a little more careful when we're out there, okay? So, by the way, <laughs> if cry. you... 
already don't love Fargo, if you if you just listen to Juno Temple talk in that accent for the entire most recent season of Fargo, I don't know what to tell you because it's the most amazing <laughs> thing in the world. Oh my god, I love it so much. I think like instead of hanging out at, outside the uh, the gas station, you know, convenience store or something, they're just hanging out outside the emergency room door. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, so great. So good. <laughs> it's amazing. So specific yeah. and so good. Anyway, yeah. So, Give me a second, then I got what you were saying. And yeah. I really appreciated it. What's your favorite like format for adventures? How do you mean? Like, there's a bunch of different design choices. Like, there's kind of like the choose your own adventure. Like, you do mm. this, and then if they do this, turn to this page. Mm. And then, or there's ones where there's literally just one answer, and then there's like, they can do this, this, or this to get to the next step. Like, what do you prefer? What's your flavor of choice? I kind of like it where it's more like, it's hard to write this in a good way for me as a writer, so I like it when people can do it well in a book. I like it where it's kind of like, Here's all that's happening in a given time frame and just know what's happening and then let the players kind of roam and figure mm-hmm. things. And like, so like if they go to this room, like, you know, what's happening in this room with like, yeah. like that's speaking of, I mentioned golden vault. That's because it's a heist. There's a lot of that. Like you're in this museum. Yeah. So here's what's happening in these rooms in this museum. And here's mm-hmm. what these guards are doing when you're in there. Cause that, that tends to be how I GM anyway, which is kind of like, I always have to imagine when I'm whole, when I'm creating my story out of whole cloth, I like to imagine like, what would happen if the characters never arrived mm-hmm. and that's all I've got and then once they arrive everything changes so when someone has basically given me for lack of a better term like a board they've set up mm-hmm. and like here's where everything is on the board have fun with it like, yeah. that's kind of mm-hmm. how I like it mm-hmm. I love that the One Ring adventures are written like well some of them but the book I was using when I was running the campaign for us is written that way they call it their landmark system. Mm-hmm. So it's like, here's the map, and then here's all these different places. And then your players can kind of choose as they journey around the map. Then you're like, okay, this is an adventure that could be here if they're ending up there. And then if they're busy on a quest, you can kind of ignore it yeah. or come back to it later. But I love that same thing. I loved the freedom it gave me. And it just gave me like hints and ideas. And sometimes I'd just take them whole cloth. And a lot of times I would then just like tweak them or make them our own and stuff like that. But I, I loved that. And I'd never seen that kind of design before. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a little mini guided sandbox. Yeah. yeah exactly. You have a sandbox with all the tools in there. And as a GM, you're usually given guidance how to use the tools in the book to challenge your players and create interesting scenarios. Yeah. I did find that, oh, fuck, what's it called? Uh, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden kind of mm-hmm. worked like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is wildly, unplay- wildly unplayable in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. of the sandbox nature of it. Mm-hmm. Things become like a real sandbox game, video game. Uh, you can wander into a zone that is too yeah. Like, that's a hard. little above your punching weight. Right? Yeah, yeah. I do like. I used to subscribe to Dungeon in a Box, and you'd get the little adventures, which our friend of the show, uh, our very own um, uh, Jameson. Jameson, wrote a couple adventures for, and uh, still has written one of my favorite to run. But the whole those are really nice. If you can fit it on a pamphlet, basically, I think mm-hmm. is as much as you need for an adventure. Yeah. Like, here are your major players. Anyone else you make up's good for you. Here's your skeleton, everything else. You flesh everything out, but like, here's your basic plot. Here's the orc. Here's why he wants his pie. Yeah. And I do like, as a GM, I do like that kind of concept. And when it's like, basically, if you're using the, so we talked about sandbox, if we're using railroading as a concept, I like it when it's like, here's the railroad map. Like, here's here's yeah. what the rails do. Yeah. And then you as a GM can bring everything else to the table that you want to bring so that it doesn't feel like they're on a railroad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But was it 
Waterdeep Dragon Heist was similar to that. You get this sort of loose skeleton yeah. of events. And then the beauty of that module, right? What One thing I love about that is that there are a variety of events that happen in the game, but depending on when you tackle, like depending on the season, it's all based on seasons, yeah. right? So if you tackle in the spring, summer, autumn, winter, those events, they still, they generally remain the same, but they slot into that railroad in different ways. Oh, and you can choose who the villain is. Too, yeah, also yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorite modules or my That's favorite really adventures mm-hmm. for, uh, for, for fifth edition as well. Eric, kind of circling back to something you mentioned. That's one of the caveats for running published adventures is that if you're running for folks that maybe you're not necessarily, you, may, you know, if you're running online and you're just gathering players from various places and they're very well versed on the lore and you're not, oh. that can be a little harrowing <laughs> sometimes. Yes. And so, you know, you mentioned Vampire the Masquerade, just rich woven tapestry, right? And if you're kind of just getting started and, you know, you get players that really know it well, it can be a little intimidating. Yeah, I feel yeah. that way for 5th edition sometimes. So I don't, I'm not, I mean, I like the Forgotten Realms, but I don't know it intimately as mm-hmm. intimately as a lot of people have been. Yeah. I actually find that I tend to not run games in the Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. because of that. Because yeah. I feel like there's not just 5th edition, but previous editions, there is sort of this idea of like, like people who have read all the Salvatore books and stuff like that, and they're like, oh, there's Forgotten Realms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah, they are. Yeah. But I think like, Wait, someone's like, yeah, of course they are. Yeah. But like, yeah, it's like, I don't know all the lore of Drew's Jordan. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, like, so yeah. like, I don't, yeah. don't want to have to get into that. And I will say that, like, weirdly enough, I find that a lot of times I'll take a module published in the Forgotten Realms and I'll move it to a different setting when mm-hmm. I'm running it for that reason. Yeah, and like, weirdly, like, this feels so paradoxical because if I'm saying that I don't want to get too much into the lore. It's weird that I'm going to say a thing that is literally based on another show that has a lore to it. But the Exandria setting that they built for Critical Role, all of the source books they put out for that, they put one out officially through D&D, which is the uh, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. They put out one independently that's, that they've partnered with D&D Beyond, so we still have it, even though Wizards didn't publish it. Mm-hmm. But like we have, but and it, that's all the stuff that's on Tal'Dorei. Yeah, the Tal'Dorei book, yeah. I can visualize that world so much better based on those two books than I can all the books there are for the Forgotten Realms. Mm -hmm. And like when I run the Forgotten Realms, I almost have to always go, my Forgotten Realms is not your Forgotten Realms. Mm -hmm. My Forgotten Realms is two or three mirrors away from yours. So like, don't think that just because you know something is part of this world's lore, it's going to be in mine because like I might not have thought of, I might not have known that thing because I I have gotten into parts with players before where like someone will start, start pulling up artwork from like a book that we're not even using. And I'm like, that's not part of this right yeah. now. Like, yeah. yeah, I feel like that's part of any canon that's been around that long though. Like, I feel like if you have three books out and they've been like, like meticulously created by the same group of creative people, like yeah. making mm-hmm. sure everything is like it streamlined, we're Forgotten Realms. Like literally, like I remember as a child looking at a bunch of, novels on the shelf and then years later picking up D and being like oh wait i think i think these are books aren't they like yeah yeah. and like there's been so many authors and so many different company runners and so many different everythings like at some point it's sort of like like the star wars canon or like anything else where it starts getting like we're like wait i thought this works this way and then it's like yeah so yeah i don't know that's i mean it's so hard when when 
IPs or, or worlds become that massive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's what I was going to say, too. We're talking a lot about 5th edition. It's the biggest game Top, in town, yeah. I suppose. But I mean, until this year, it's the current edition of the game. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Anymore, but um, (laughs) but you think about IPs like Star Wars, Star Trek, hugely popular game, and even the the new Marvel multiverse role playing game. If you're a new player or a new game master, kind of running those games, and you end up with somebody who's like, "Oh, wait a minute, I have everything that you could possibly imagine for that particular IP." All of a sudden, it's it's a little bit, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of intimidation. Well, a little, it gets a little bit. You mean? The stakes get high. You mean like running uh, one ring with Kai at the table? Yeah. I could not run one ring for with you and Kai at the table because I'd be like, "Yeah, the wizard guys," and you're like, "They're angels," and I'm like, "Okay, hold on." Yeah. I'm sorry. If yeah. The one thing that's nice about running Doctor Who for so long is that Doctor Who as a TV show doesn't follow its own canon, so yeah. you can't yeah. get mad at you at the table for not being in canon because you're like, the show's not in canon. No, what are no, you talking about? No. Yeah. And like, and so it was very funny because you know we were running a Doctor Who show for an audience, and then the show would do things that would make it hard for us to make. Like we would always try to adapt our canon to what the show was doing a little bit because we're supposed to be technically in the future from the show. But sometimes we're like, no, we're not doing it that way. We we want Gallifrey to exist still, so we're making Gallifrey exist still and stuff like that. But it is very funny in that way. I have what? I have two very spicy, I realized, takes, and now I've forgotten one because of ADHD. <laughs> the second one is if you are a person who wants to get into running games for a TV, for like consumption, like actual play style, pre-written content's a really good way to understand how to keep a game on rails that are cohesive enough to listen to game after mm-hmm. game after game versus, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, versus like uh, i came here for your facts <laughs> all right well i got nothing um i actually no i do i can tell this you like happy jack's fact show as a person as a person who's worked on a couple of, of streaming shows no i know so you can give your real answer I'll, I'll give you credentials at least here's my dick as a person who has worked on a couple and worked with a couple of streaming shows i do find the ones that i find that are a little more like a little less meandering and a little more cohesive tend to run their games, have an idea of, you know, where their games are going and stuff, and their notes tend to look like prudent adventures. <laughs> and so if you're the kind of person who wants to get into streaming actual play, I think a really good idea is looking at prewritten adventures, if only so that, like, you know where your story is kind of going. Again, no plan, survives contact with players. But it means that you can, ha- you can prep things like battle maps. It means you can prep things like yeah. uh, characters yeah. and P- uh, like minis or whatever you're going to do. If you look at the credits on, on uh, Critical Role stuff or Dimension 20 stuff, there are so many writers being credited. Mm-hmm. That is not because, like, that is not because the dice are prescripted. No. It is because they're basically writing out pre-written campaigns and the players are running through them. Yeah. And like, I think people forget that when we talk about yeah. like running. I mean, it also. And they're also on. helping people. Like, they're also designing worlds together. Like, how yeah. you like, build up, like, they're like, especially currently with Critical Role, like, they're actively because, like, they don't want to be just white people writing a world that's very set. Yeah. And, like, Absolutely. Stuff, so they're like mm-hmm. actively late. Like, so yeah, it's like. Oh, I remember my second spicy take. <laughs> so that's why having a book that gives you a setting is like a really good way to get into things quicker mm-hmm. and not feel like you have to build an entire world from scratch. Yeah. I will say my second spicy take is nobody plays D&D for Forgotten Realms. I've never met a single person who played D&D. It was like, let me tell you about my Forgotten Realms campaign. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is always, the first thing that comes out of anyone who plays D&D's mouth, to me at least, is let me tell you about my homebrew. I'm like, rad, love yeah. it. 
Yeah. yeah. Didn't used to be that way. <laughs> there, I think people still do play Forgotten Realms, but only as a way of like quickly getting into terms. Like, yeah. it's like easy to toss. Them. Like, I think a great example of it is the Adventure Zone technically is Forgotten Realms. Like, it's set in Faerun. Well, the balance or campaign, anyway, it's set in Faerun, but that's because they started off with literally Lost Mine of Fandelver yeah. until they found their own story and went off of it. So, like, when they need a big city, they'll quickly toss in, like, Neverwinter or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then when they want a city that's, like, a weird gulch town, they'll make one up. Like, it doesn't, ha- mm-hmm. doesn't have, like, you can, even if you're using the Forgotten Realms, you can make up a city that doesn't exist in the Forgotten Realms. And guess what? That's what happens in published D&D books. It's like suddenly you're in a city that never has had a spot yeah. on the map. Phandalin was not a city in the Forgotten Realms until Lost Mine of Phandelver. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It's canon. No, I think yeah. I'm right about that. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is the joy of kind of writing in a setting, too, is that you get to expand the world. One thing that I will add is that I actually find it really entertaining to watch people run adventures that I'm familiar with because it's an interesting, it's always different and it's an interesting take on an adventure. You can't do that with a movie. You can't just say make the usual suspects, right? And have your imprint on it, right? Mm -hmm. So, but you can play, you can play Curse of Strahd and oh boy, they're all clowns trudging through Barovia, whatever. Yeah. Mm By the way, Strahd, a great example of a non-forgotten realm setting because it's literally in Ravenloft. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, those are different places. Anyway. The the thing about that, too, is that after a certain point, like a wildly wildly popular or a more established realm does give you a good source of tropes. Yeah. And so when you say Neverwinter, when you say what's called Baldur's Gate, especially Baldur's Gate now, that's kind of a great shorthand for knowing, you know, you tell that to a player and they're like, oh, okay, I know, I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah, I think of like Waterdeep as like kind of a, res- I mean, sorry, Never Adventure as like a resplendent city. Sure, yeah. Like Waterdeep, it feels a little more murky. A little like, I feel seedier, like, yeah. Like Neverwinter is like fantasy New York. Yeah. Or fantasy Chicago, whereas yeah. like Waterdeep is like fantasy Seattle. Or it's like a little bit more like. <laughs> you and I have very different experiences in the I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, huh. yeah. And Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm sorry. Here's what I'll say a better example of it. It's. Neverwinter is Metropolis and yeah, Waterdeep is, is, is awful. Yes, awesome. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, Waterdeep is awful. You know, again, we're talking about a lot of D&D. Seattle's not awful. So, I love Seattle. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I love that place. Um, we're talking a lot about D&D. One thing that I will say, too, is that it is useful for fledgling the dungeon masters to have so such a wealth of material, right? Yeah. It's a little harder for other games sometimes, like smaller indie games, to get that kind of support. And so more often, a GM might have to create more material. Like, well, I was going to say the Alien RPG, but there is quite a bit of literary material from the past to plumb for that. I don't, but there aren't a whole lot of modules for that one, for example. So as a DM, yeah. you're probably going to be running a whole lot. You know, you're going to be making <clears throat> up your own scenarios. Yeah. Unlike, say, the benefit of, say, a D&D module is even if you don't plan on running it, they're great sources of, inform- of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Like, you could look at a page and say, oh, that encounter sounds really interesting. I'm going to take those set of monsters and you can take nothing else. Yeah. I will say if you are trying to GM, yeah, we did talk about D&D a lot. <laughs> if you're a GM trying to run a non-D&D game, off the top of my head, I don't have one to pull for you, but I know that a lot of them exist and I have used them. There are a lot of what they call system agnostic modules mm-hmm. right. where instead of really focusing on the rules, it kind of just tells you like what's going to happen from story beat to story beat and then you kind of bring in the mechanics you know from the game you're playing to do that and i think it's good to look at a few of those but ultimately if you do a few of those you can kind of 
do that yourself with modules created for other games and just do a little bit of work yourself to go, okay, like, like, so if you say you're running Monster of the Week and you've got, this is a wild example because it wouldn't be Monster of the Week at this point, but let's say you have Monster of the Week and then you've got Curse of Strahd, you could treat Curse of Strahd like a Monster of the Week monster hunt mm-hmm. and just take out all the stats and just make Strahd the monster you're building towards. Like, that's a bad example because it's like the campaign versus a one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's possible. Did I step on your toes? Are you doing No, that? I'm going to do it. You should do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it now. That's terrible. And I love Monster yeah. of the Week. Yeah, you could. I think you could easily do that. <clears throat> and I think that's a great example of like, because I mean, what is Curse of Strahd if not just a really long, drawn out series of how to kill this monster? <laughs> yeah. And that's what Monster of the Week is. You could easily make yeah. it like, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a thing that I think, like, even though there might not be as much of a wealth, unfortunately, there's just, there's more D&D books than any other game out there because it's just, it's it's like being like, oh, there's, wow, there's more Coke at the store than there is. I mean, like, <laughs> you can get more Coca-Cola than you can any other local brand than Jones Soda. Wow, what a shocker. <laughs> Wild. But, yeah. See, yeah. I want to run Curse of Strahd in Vampire. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. I think Ryan huh. Omega was talking about doing that. <laughs> I, no, Ryan Omega yeah. was thinking about doing I Now, I'm going to beat him to it. Um, <laughs> fucking wild. No, it, maybe this is just Queen's a unique thing. <laughs> Speaking exactly. of that, oh no. I will be Hold on, we need to table this conversation so we can talk about that yeah, one. Yeah, you're, you're playing Camarilla assassins <laughs> who have been sent in to take mm. down this Anarch Prince Strahd, who is part of the tournament. <laughs> oh, okay, oh, hold on. Okay, yeah, Rose has got Ro- a whole separate point. Yeah, yeah. Rose is it. Or it could oh, be a, or it could so, be a, um, Rose said, it could be a Werewolf of Forsake, Werewolf yeah. the Apocalypse game, and your, your guru trying to take, okay. oh, uh, we have you to, could do it. If we bring up the chat, we've got to read what it says yeah. for people. True. So Rose said, wouldn't Strahd be a hunter in the Reckoning game? Yeah. Yeah. It could Probably. be a World of Darkness, and you could do the nasty thing it where could. you put them all together, which don't do that. It's a nasty idea. Oh, those, those mechanics don't play well. Together. You put a mage in the thing, and it's like, I'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll see mage breaks everything. Mage breaks everything. Every mage them. breaks everything. It's I just, know. It breaks it. Shit, what was I going to say before I got so distracted <laughs> by this? Oh, this may be a side effect of, again, my habit of inebriated itching, which I need a better name for that. No, because that funny. came out bad. That's perfect. That came out bad. 10 out of 10. No, no. Chef's yeah, kiss. Yeah, yeah. Cannot you, get better. Yeah, you uh, <laughs> take your thing of choice, whether it is a now legal... Now it's getting worse. That, no, yeah, you're right. Hold on. Dritching. No, no. Dritching? Well, because, you know, marijuana's legal here. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, cold medicine when I, went, when, I had, <laughs> when I had COVID and could only just be on my computer. Yeah. Anyway, I know that, like, in the Kickstarter for, I don't know, demigods? And maybe Avatar, the, the Avatar game, one of those things, like, pre-written campaigns were part of the stretch goals. Mm-hmm. So I know a bunch of indie games that have these pre-written games. Demigods, for some reason, is the only one that comes to mind. But I know that we have a couple indie um, authors who do that. Mm-hmm. So they are there if you are looking for them. And not to say all PBTAs are interchangeable, but maybe a good framework to look at one at a pre-written for... Yeah. Oh, Monsters of the Week has plenty as well. Mm. Yeah. And so does like Kids on Brooms. Yeah. Um, Monsters of the Week, I think, just came out like last year with a whole book of pre written hunts. Among other things, yes. Yeah. And um, all of uh, Free League games Free all League's have games tons are of super stuff. well supported. Yeah. So yeah. their Amazon, or their Alien game that just came out, Coriolis, Tales from the Loop and Tales from the mm-hmm. Flood. I'm like, what's the really big one? You said yeah. Kids on Bikes. And I was like, it's not Kids on Bikes. It's not Kids on Bikes. What is it? Yeah. Kids on brooms. Yeah, kids on brooms also, yes. 
which I wrote some of the stuff for that. But oh, yeah, yeah, I wrote no kidding. Things. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very fun. I didn't realize that. Would you call Hunter's Entertainment indie at this point still? Yeah, but I don't think like mentioning the titles that we have, they're not really indie. It, yeah, I will they're say. Some of the bigger, like. They are know. the big of the littles. I, I was going to say, like, again, if you're on itch.io and you have you're the like. RC Cola to the Coca Cola. <laughs> In the Coca-Cola analogy, they are. Uh, I have yeah. a very. I have a very random like. Pepsi Finder. Oh god. You have Diet Coke, and we have Starfinder. <laughs> so I have a, I have a very random Ooh. way of deciding what's indie and what's not indie. If the company is making a living off, like if the people mm. there don't have day jobs. That's fair. That's my thing. I'm like, that you're is- indie. Mm-hmm. If you have to have a day job while you're running your TTRPG well, company, you're indie. Yeah, you're- I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. Because, like, I think you can be indie and be full time. I think it just means it depends on where you're getting your money from. Like, like oh, yeah. I think where hunters could maybe be. This is wow, we're on down a different rabbit hole now entirely. By the way, <laughs> I realized my, my Starfinder Diet Coke analogy is not very good because Starfinder has more crunch than regular. It's like it's like yeah. smoothie <laughs> and our cream. Anyway. Yeah, that's a I think that reason, what makes you stop being indie, in my opinion, is that if you are literally publishing brand name, like if you're publishing Werewolf the Apocalypse, you really can't say you're an indie anymore because you're literally publishing a white wolf game. Like you're no, like that's what I'm saying. Like, but it's actually super easy to get IPs. That is true. Yeah. If you yeah. like, depends on the IP. But I'm yes. saying, I'm okay. saying you're if you get Star Wars. I can say, okay, you're not, you're not indie. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm saying if you can raise the money for a license, sure. Mm-hmm. But difference between, like, I would say White Wolf game, which is not even owned by White Wolf anymore. Mm-hmm. But like, those were big names. Yes. In RPGs, so yeah. it's like, it's like you, you've bought like if you if you are being marketed with like brand names that are brand names within the industry, mm-hmm. that's hard to be like you're still indie, but maybe still. The problem with that is like you're, they're not necessarily buying the IP. You can do like a profit sharing thing where you're like, "Hey, I'll publish this game if you let mm-hmm. me do that." You don't yeah. have to do anything, and you'll get forty percent uh-huh. of the profits. Right. So The reason why I think like yeah. our still, Super Bowl talk. The reason why I'm so not sure if I count that. <laughs> Touchdown. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I know what you're saying about the like job yeah. thing, but it's like the reason why I wouldn't think of like D and D for example, and it's because it's owned by Hasbro. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that if the people who started your company still own the company and they someone is the comment do you own your own ip like like i think it's hard for me to say if somebody is an indie completely if they're using even though ip is easy to mm-hmm. access you're still beholden to a corporate like overlord to permit mm-hmm. things a great example is for example like i don't know how actually the thing I was going to say, I'm not sure it's public knowledge, so okay, I can't okay. say. Okay, I was going to say, I have a really mean metric for it. It's like, will, okay, you, yeah. will the head of your company talk to me? That is, oh, like, will oh, the head yeah. of your company respond to my email? As, oh, is yeah. my, like, are you an indie? I feel like that sounds really, really shitty when I say it up front, but I will. It's more of a, like, when we talk indie versus, like, big brand name publisher, I am not walking up to the CEO of Dungeons and Dragons for Hasbro yeah. and being like, hey, I'm representing Happy Jacks wild well, a lot of audacity because there's so many levels of who that would be exactly but i still do think that you can be i think you can be a very big successful indie company like same with like a music label like i think that like you can be a record label that is entirely funded by like your sales or like fundraising and stuff like that and not by like venture capitalists investing For in your sure. building or like having corporations own a stake in your company that's where i think like like for example like Larian Games is owned by other companies who own a stake in Larian Games. So you couldn't say like Larian's like an indie developer because they're literally owned. 
But like, and I, I think this is so not worth talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Up. I went, but like in movies, yeah. in movies, for example, like there, there was a lot of like in the 90s, especially independent movie studios mm-hmm. that then got bought out by corporations and stuff like that. And so like, it's hard to be like, that's still an indie because those people aren't always like working. Full. It's like, that's because they now have a parent, a parent yeah. company. It's, yeah, it's about, I guess it more depends on like, why are you asking if they're an indie company? I'm going to go, but like, I guess, because one of the follow-up kind of questions on our thing is like, is there hope for indie? No, no, we haven't mm. read that email oh, yet. We oh. haven't. I'm so sorry. Spoilers. Trying <laughs> into the future. Oh, yeah. Maybe, Maybe let's pause. We'll pause. We'll we're going to circle back to yeah. this in a minute, I think. Yeah. So I also am sorry about the bad joke that got us way off topic. I was thinking because when I did my writing for Hunters, both of them, the, the main people at Hunters at the time were, had day jobs and one of them was a oh. teacher. So mm. he and I would joke about like, because we could only meet like after school yeah. when we were doing our planning. Well, so. I was gonna say the last thing I'll say on it is like it's a question about like, whether you're a pro or not, and when people are like, "Well, you were a professional mermaid," I was like, "Yes, I did make money being a mermaid. Boy, was it not my primary job." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, mailbag number one. I'm not reading it. Who must read it? I'll do it. I talked a lot, so I'll, I'll, I'll take, the, <laughs> the, take the, the penance for having talked so much. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it. Yeah, it was, so I really dived into that deep depth. It was good. It was good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. I think I have an example for you, but we're not going to get into that. Oh now. my god. We're going to wait till the end of this email when it's yeah. talking about. It. Yeah. Yeah. Put a pin in it. Hi ho there, Jackarinos. <laughs> I have been diving deep into my world building for my home D and D five E. Sorry, the Heidi Ho being a voice. It actually says Heidi Ho there. Jack. Yeah. yeah. That, that's yeah. a. It was asking yeah. for that. Better than I, the one I, voice I would have done. I just want to let you all know, I would not have said that myself. This is 100%. <laughs> <laughs> like, Putting roots in Riley's I am not. I mean, look, unless Pee Wee Herman is asking me to do it for a t- HBO special, I'm not just dropping in with a hi ho uh, uh, All right, sorry. Some time ago, friends who saw me working on it told... I'm going to try this sentence over because I cut off in the middle of it. I have been diving deep into my world building for my home five home D&D 5e game. Some time ago, friends who saw me working on it told me I should write a book. That is based on the amount of content I was writing, not because of railroading. That's a fair point. I considered it for a while and started planning stories, but I read a lot more RPG content and have been considering writing adventure modules instead. Since at least a few of you are now game designers, I wanted to get your opinions on the plan slash idea I have. I don't know the proper amount of details to include, but here it goes. My question follows the following summary of my plan. Summary number one. Pick a location in my world that is already fleshed out and write an adventure within it. Play test it and apply feedback. Release on DM's Guild for free. Start writing second adventure in the same world. Wait and see what happens. Read feedback. Apply feedback to second adventure and play test. Release second adventure as either free or pay what you want. Rinse, repeat, and maybe publish my own campaign setting. And I, I'm Riley's interjection is I'm fighting so hard not to go. Question mark? Question mark? Profit? <laughs> the plan is to test the waters for. Well, yeah, if you're giving it for free, you're not going to profit <laughs> off it. Shocking news. Breaking news. Free <laughs> stuff does not pay. See, you're you're making points that I want to talk about in this. <laughs> okay. The plan is to test the waters both for my creations, my creations, and for myself to see if I can share my world with more people and see if I enjoy writing in a gaming style. It would be a dream to publish a campaign setting and actually have it sell, but I have no name recognition. In this environment of podcasts and actual plays, is it feasible for an individual creator to build a name off of adventure or, or module writing enough to, success, to successfully make that work? Looking forward to your insight and discussion, Mike, a.k.a. Mystic Stream on the Discord. Before we start, I need to say one very important thing, and that is, 
at this very moment, if you are not watching the uh, video, Jay has been taking notes to answer this question. <laughs> like a kid who did his homework in this class, in this lecture hall. I am not. I'm going to wait till everyone comes up with an answer and then I will piggyback off. <laughs> I, I read the question and I have less notes on it than Jay does. Yeah, Jay did notes. <laughs> but I mean, also, like, I'm not a, I have not published a game, so I also feel That's like I'm going to be a little it. bit, yeah, I might get a drink. Why do you think I put this talking. email in while yeah. you Yeah, I didn't, yeah, yeah I didn't um, do the readings. <laughs> yeah, this is sort of my world. This is kind of the writing that I do a lot of, actually. And so a couple of things. First of all, don't sell your work short. So if you're going to create something and publish it, at least put it in for pay what you can. Don't just say, I'm just giving this away yeah. for free. If people appreciate it, they will kick a few bucks over your way. And boy, there's nothing better than waking up in the morning and seeing, oh, somebody cared enough. Oh, that is the best feeling. Right? This is what, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think also, and like just adding to that, I'm, I don't want to cut you off, no. but there's actually studies that show if you're giving something away for free, Customers will value it less. Yeah. Even yeah. There, like there's a psychological thing where if you're asking pay what you can or pay what you will, like they will like your work more because of the psychological mind game of, oh, OK, I'll give it a dollar rather than just having it for free. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 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 They will actually absolutely. give it higher reviews. They will speak more highly of it just because you did that one thing, which is yeah. really weird. Yeah. And if you find that the numbers do look good for you, you're getting a few sales each week. Honestly, put it up for like 99 cents, $1.99. That's a pretty reasonable, actually, for the uh, Adventures League uh, model. Like $2.99 is a pretty good mm -hmm. price point for an adventure. I personally wouldn't hesitate to buy an adventure for three bucks because yeah. that's a lot of prep that's already been made, kind of like what we talked about before that I don't have to do. And possible inspiration that, that'll launch a lot of other things. As a person who, yes, buys a lot of games that are $2.99, Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. The 99 means it's not a whole dollar and that's yeah. cheaper. Yeah. I and also, for some reason, that's a steal. <laughs> I also believe that I might be wrong about this. I don't know the breakdowns of DMs Guild or Drive Through, but I think that a lot of times if you make it 299, you actually get more than you would if you made it 99 cents because of like the more you charge it for, the bigger percentage you get of it. So it's actually yeah. better for you financially. To, even if you sell less, you might make more money off of it than if you didn't. Yeah. 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 This is very true. I, mean, I know you're not looking for profits at this point. You're looking for audiences to buy it. Yeah. But I think like, Look at the incentives. Look what their breakdowns are for how much you charge for, and that's why two ninety nine is a pretty magic number because I think that's like where you get to the next level of incentives. Oh, you have a cup of Pathfinder or D and D in there? Yes, <laughs> I have some D and D with the my toss. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so sorry. I would also, I would suggest not like I think two ninety nine is a great price point. If you want to do it for free, do it in like splurges. Like, mm -hmm. hey, free for the first week. Yes, you know, exactly. And, and then there's like that demand. That's going to be the difference of someone being like, oh, maybe I'll come back and buy that later. Or no, I'm going to buy it right now because if I don't, it's not going to be free next week. And then you build up that demand. Hopefully some of them leave some reviews. And then the people yeah. who see those reviews later don't realize that those people have paid nothing. And then they will pay that $2.99 or whatever it is. If your, your adventure or your product is like themed around something, like having it be, if it's a Christmas, speaking, speaking of Christmas episodes, like if it's a Christmas themed adventure, then having like it free. Oh, Mike, this is a head <laughs> uh, Spoilers. Yeah. I don't mind it. There's, 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 just the audience doesn't yeah, know what we're talking about. Doesn't know what we're talking about. That's yeah. true. That's what happens when we're friends and we talk before and then yeah. we keep talking and then start. For the streaming. audience at home, real quickly, I ran through 
all my plans for my Christmas themed Doctor Who episode, my Doctor Who story game that I'm running this yeah, Saturday. While we're sitting here waiting yeah. to start. Anyway, so yeah. So now that you're in the know. So if you're, you have a theme to it, then like having it be free like two weeks, like right, the two weeks after the first week of December or something like that. Sorry, please continue. No, no worries. Okay. So a couple of things. Well, first of all, thanks for writing in. Appreciate the question, certainly. The plan sounds really solid at the very least. Mm-hmm. It's great that you're open to, you know, accepting so much feedback and... Playtesting. Yeah, yeah. Playtesting. Even I don't playtest my stuff as nearly as often as I should. But I think I would recommend if you want to gauge interest and if you want to get people's attention, run them out in public. So go to a game store. If there are cons nearby, sign up to run your material at a con and get your material out there. Yeah, yeah. Start a mailing list. Yeah, yeah. And if you ever have any questions about like what you should include or like what, how the material should be laid out, my best advice is read as many other published adventures as you can. Yeah. Because that's where I kind of got all my experience. Like when I wrote my first published module, I hadn't written anything longer than a page. And the next thing you know, I've got adventures on the, uh, on the DMs Guild and, and for Wizards of the Coast and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know. Would you also say, you mentioned read other modules. Would you recommend writing, like, not sorry, playing some other modules that are similar to kind of like the level you're thinking of writing wise? Yeah. You get an idea of like, oh, this is actually really hard to run. So maybe I should make sure that when I write mine, it's also not as hard to run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every adventure that you read is a learning experience in my book. And it's, it's a learning experience as to what you should include or how you could lay out your information. And sometimes it's like how you should really mm-hmm. honestly like it. Oh my goodness. Sorry, I've just no, so many thoughts. Oh, I, I saw that. Why are there so many vampires around here? <laughs> Back to that. <laughs> uh, no, but like, even for little things like formatting your modules, I can look at one very, very popular system that has horrendously laid out books that are impossible to use unless you can literally search for Diablery in the book. Um, naming no names. So but, bad. So uh, bad. I can't imagine what that means. Yeah, tell us what that game is. About. Traveler. Oh, tra- oh, the Traveler. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, wait, sorry. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I've seen, PDF. I have seen and formatted really poorly formatted games. I have done that myself. So yeah. you can find it, just the little... Oh my God, studying actually helps you on the test. Um, (laughs) Like doing the work ahead of time, reading the modules, uh, getting a bunch of modules under your belt just to know what feels good and what looks good and what information works for you. I'm, if I ever publish a game instead of threatening to publish games, (laughs) I'm going to be the kind of person who has like a thick glossary in the front and just maybe pull tabs. It'll be a pop-up book of like, what <laughs> terms mean because I'm so fucking sick of it. That sounds amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that idea so much. Yeah. All right, for your production costs. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but for sh- yeah, for sure. I should be surprised. Pop-up books and kids' books are fairly cheap. It's so annoying. So much cheaper than like box stuff. Sorry. No. Huh. Stab me in the heart with all the things I've been thinking about for so- the last couple weeks. <laughs> oh no, I just love pop up books. Yeah, yeah. But like, but no, but for, like even like a tear this page out and it's your this is the one sheet you're gonna need to like give to your players. Oh my god. <laughs> Rose, <laughs> Rose, why are we the same person? Rose just told the uh, for the for the podcast listeners. Rose just wanted that thick glossary as my burlesque name. <laughs> oh, 
T-H-I-C-C, of course. Kimmy and I both looked out and broke at the exact same time. That was awesome. But yeah, like you do the legwork of like looking at other other people's stuff. Yeah. That's an advice for writing across the board. You cannot be a writer without being a reader. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You can't write movies without watching movies. You can't write books without reading books. It's just, it's not, it's not even like, it's almost like, I think Chuck Wendig mentioned it in his recent book about on writing where, or about where it was like, it was like gentle advice for writers. He's like, he's like, I don't even think telling writers to read is writing advice at this point because if you're writing and you're not reading, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. How are you doing? How do you do that? Yeah, it's a really good, yeah, good way to put it. So this is something that I've been working on a lot as far as like building audience and things like this. I haven't really talked about it, but I got accepted to like this mentorship program with Gamma. So I've been working on this for like the last six months working with people at a bunch of different game companies, doing like weekly seminars where they're trying to help like new marginalized like game publishers and retailers. And I feel weird talking about it. It's very cool and it's really stressful and it's exhausting and really, really great. It's like, hey, all the things I wanted to know, except here's a fire hose of just, here's all the information, write this all down as fast as you can. Oh, and Gamma's in two weeks and here's a booth and do it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. It's fine. But the biggest things you want to do is you want to, one, absolutely all the reading that Jay just said, you want to find ways to brand your things. So have a, like, find a layout format that you really like and that you can recreate so that people pick up your game and recognize it. So whether it's a heading that's different, maybe you have like, little scratchy looking corners on all of your adventures that you release. And then for heaven's sake, have a logo mm-hmm. that yeah. is there and identifiable and not just a D20. Mm-hmm. I say that with a podcast that our logo is just a D20, but you know, so done. yeah. So it's like very, so like have these identifiers so people see it on the table and then can, can like, Oh, that's this. And so that when they see it somewhere else, they recognize it. Because you want something that will be a visual indicator that it's yours. And piggybacking on that, if you're not great at layout or you don't really know the ins and outs of layout, try to get a good mm-hmm. cover format that like is distinctly identifiable with whatever you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Blackmail yeah. a graphic designer. Do like it, uh, don't blackmail a graphic designer. We we don't appreciate it. Or mm-hmm. like truly Canva is your friend and it is free. Mostly. Uh, or you can pay a little bit of money for other options. Yeah, like there are other always that you find very quickly. And this is the reason like I went off on the aforementioned unnamed system. You find very quickly what you don't like. And that is so it's weirdly important to know what doesn't work for you. Yeah. To understand what does what. And then, you know, like, oh, it turns out I really need everything in giant letters. Yeah. That mm-hmm. little things mm-hmm. like that. Also, yeah. if you're going to use a fun font, Check every letter in that font and yeah. see how it looks because nothing is more frustrating <laughs> than reading a book and suddenly having like, is that an F or a P? I don't understand what's happening. Like, <laughs> I fun fonts are really cool at times for headers and stuff like that, but I do think that having a font that's very readable and clear in the actual book is really important and not everybody does it. Yeah, is this chapter telling me to go puck myself? <laughs> yeah. yeah, God. I will, and I'm going to point you back. I don't remember what episode it was, but there is an episode where we specifically talked about dyslexic fonts mm. and oh, the yeah. fact that they are bullshit and which fonts to use instead as an educator like 
legit studies have been done and the dyslexia fonts are actually not helpful. Really? Yeah, they are very well-intentioned, great people who it's like scientific studies have been done. But we did talk specifically about what fonts are great and do are actually helpful for people who have dyslexia. So go Just back and up, if you look- I've been on shows that have used that as our captioning and I'm glad to know. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's not actually a difference in the readability when they tested it with people who have dyslexia. But there, we did talk specifically about which fonts do show improvement and are easier. Isn't Comic Sans like one of the I've really high yeah. ones that are leg- high legibility? It, yeah, it was written for that. Actually, it was, I think it was developed by, we actually talked about that, but I can't remember the exact thing right now because I'm on the spot about it. But we, we all the correct information, because I looked at all of the stuff that I was, t- I've, I've gone through like training specifically about this actually. So I brought out all my, my sheets and info and I talked all about it. So if you search through our backlog for, the fonts and dyslexia it should pop up pretty quick and it's i think it was last season i think it was season 32 so it's been fairly recent it was i was sitting in the seat when i did it so (laughs) (laughs) the other thing is like once you have everything like kind of branded and focused start building a community doesn't have to be a discord because that's a pain in the ass yes but having a mailing list and get people sign up everywhere you go have a tablet or your phone or whatever it is so when you're sitting and running a game at a convention or at a your friendly local gaming store hey sign up here and they get the next you know your next release free or have one release that you only give to people who sign up for your mailing list Mm -hmm. and then as you build that list every time you release something pay 10 percent off if you're on this mailing list here's a code Mm -hmm. for that for the first week and then you eventually you'll have a whole bunch of people and those people will then probably be much more likely to buy your next thing especially if they have a small discount and then run that thing for their friends Mm -hmm. and then those friends might sign up for your mailing list and etc 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 yeah and and that that certainly like ties into you know the question of is it feasible for an individual creator to build a name off an adventure i mean it is possible but you do have to get yourself out there yeah and so work on building your own community work on building your own network of followers and and supporters but you also have to go out there and you have to talk to people and run it yeah 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 run Run it it. so you hate it and run it for run it for people who publish Mm -hmm. games too. talk to people who publish games actually a lot of the people who publish we love talking shop yeah and so we love meeting people i mean personally i love talking shop and and meeting people so i want to add to that as a writer of the more broader sense one thing you definitely need to know early on, if you're going to try to make work as a writer in any field, gaming or otherwise, other writers are not your competition. Like yes. there is, they are your community. There's been yeah, a lot. Yes. There's a big thing on TikTok recently about with book writing, where a book author went oh. on Goodreads and wrote fake bad reviews for other authors' Holy books, and she lost her book deal over it. Oh. And because, like, yeah, other writers are your community; they're not your competition. Yeah, people, people are not going to not buy other games to buy your games. They're going to buy your game and other games. So, like, it's writing, especially at an independent level, is an all tides raise all ships kind of thing. You yeah, definitely. Like, you actually want to cultivate people who are actively excited to buy games and look for games. You don't want to tear down people who are creating things in the same field you are. Yeah, especially <laughs> with TTRPGs. Yeah. We are yeah. a tiny, tiny little community. And especially when you start talking about people publishing, like it seems like there's a billion people on DMs Guild and there kind of is. But when you're talking about people who are really putting in the legwork and really starting to talk, 
everybody knows each other or knows somebody who knows them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like six degrees of separation, but like yeah. halved. It's like three degrees of separation. Yeah. yeah. And so like talk. the minute you, yeah, they yeah. all talk. Surprisingly small. Yeah. Actually. Like incredibly yeah. small, like yeah. so weirdly small. <laughs> Like I found out one of my cosplay friends from years ago is now the CEO of Steve Jackson Games. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Awesome. I was like, oh shit, Meredith. And I like messaged her on Facebook. What if you're like, like, oh my God, Steve Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> well, and also like, he was on my podcast once and told us we were stupid. So cool. Oh, oh, wow. <laughs> no, it was really funny. We did like an interview with him and oh. Dork asked him a really bad question. Oh, okay. And Steve Jackson was like, well, that's a dumb question. All just lost for shit. It was really funny. Okay, uh, no, yeah, it wasn't like a bad I'm glad you oh. told a better context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Context. Yeah. yeah. He told Stork he was really stupid. So that makes everything better. <laughs> Who hasn't? I, yeah, I haven't. But anyway, so it's just like incredibly small and everybody's like, especially people who are not indie, like, go back to that discussion. What do you think indie yeah. means? No, <laughs> <laughs> they, well, they, yeah, they kind of bump around and it's it's kind of a musical yeah. chairs of a lot of different shops, especially kind of the mid-sized shops that don't necessarily, can't necessarily afford to have staff full-time for everything. So they hire people for projects and then they move on to the next project. Yeah. So it's very small. So be nice to people and don't shit talk people. Yeah. That's advice wanted- for every, every industry. Yeah. We all, we all talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can criticize products. Like, I do that all the time. Yeah. But Sometimes you might be on an advice show for Happy Jacks, and you might start criticizing a product not knowing that the person who wrote for that product is at the table with you while you're talking about it. That, that might so be a thing that happens. Jay, I want to ask you to <laughs> confirmation on this as someone who actually is actively working in this field more than I am. Because I do a lot of freelance writing. I write about, I write about gaming more than mm-hmm. I write actual games like i write i like i write a lot for dnd beyond i've written for nervous about games but like this question about is it feasible for an individual creator to build a name off of adventure or module writing enough to say make that work i think the answer to that question is yes but i also think the reality is more likely you're gonna put your work out there almost to then get hired by companies who were already making games to hire you to freelance write content for them. Is that, you think mm-hmm. that's pretty accurate? Like, yeah. Like, people who want to make an actual living off of this kind of stuff? Or yeah. Seasonable. Yeah, it game? is. It is. And I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. You know, when we're talking about indie writers and stuff, I have a mainline gig. Yeah. <laughs> like, writing is not my main gig. It is my side hustle. That's true for most writers. These yeah, days. yeah, exactly. Not, not just right, gaming. Right. Like, that's right. So, I do want to put out there that Yes, you can make a name for yourself, but even if you make a name for yourself, it might not amount to a whole lot fiscally. It's not going to buy you a house. But it is certainly satisfying, and it's wonderful, again, to just kind of meet people out there, especially like when I see people on like YouTube who've run APs of modules that I've written. I love that. That's great. I'm like, I'm reaching folks. Yeah. And again, it, I can write something very distinctly in my mind and somebody will run it in a completely different way that is just wonderful to watch. Yeah. There's so many So that's sort of the big yeah. joy of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's so many different ways to go about this. And it really is an individual choice and in deciding what you're passionate about mm-hmm. because you're probably like I have a publishing company I've started. I have zero plans. Do you know how much money I'd have to make off of my publishing company to make up for my teacher salary and my someday pension and all my health insurance? So much. So it's it's not in my plans to give up my day job, but there are people who who do this. Like I like, Ellie Hill is amazing. She's a designer, and 
she wrote I Hunt. And what that game went wild and she was able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Yeah, it's amazing. You never know what's going to do. You need to decide what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about writing stuff for D&D? If you are, you need to realize like DMs Guild and stuff like that takes a percentage. If you're like, hey, I just want to write adventures, you have to kind of like roll the dice. You won't have as big an audience base. But if you're writing like generic adventures, like what Riley mentioned earlier, even if you make half as many sales, you might actually make more money if you're not giving the percentage to Wizards Wizards of the Coast. (laughs) So you really have to like parse where your passion is because that's that's the reason you're doing it, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, like try and decide and maximize, okay, how, where am I going to make money off of this? Like you already are talking about building an audience base by giving stuff away free. That's a great strategy. Mm-hmm. So thinking about that and like looking at it long-term, maybe it's going to be something where you give stuff away. Like maybe you'll release stuff on your own website and then eventually it's put on DMs Guild later. So then you don't have to, there's a lot of different things and legalities involved. Or vice mm-hmm. versa. You might put it on DMs Guild for now, and then you might think, you know what? Actually, if I write outside of the D&D box and write mm-hmm. my own stuff, but I have enough people who like what I'm doing, they might buy from similar to people who like start an Etsy store and mm-hmm. then eventually you're like, you know what? Actually, I can make more money if I go like on my own site and separate from mm-hmm. this or I sell mm-hmm. it yeah. at cons yeah. or yep. at fairs or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Oh, or maybe you do want to become a freelancer and start writing for these companies. We have tons of friends who go that route. Most of them don't have staff writers anymore. Most of the time people get hired for specific projects, like you mentioned, Radiant Citadel and a bunch Mm -hmm. of things like that. So they get hired, like we talked about a minute ago, for a project, and then they go and find another project to work on. It's very much like industry, like movie industry work. I write a bunch for Wizards for D&D Beyond. I'm not a staff writer. Mm -hmm. I I don't get the salary. I get paid per article. If if I don't get article for a while, I don't get money for a while. That's just how it is. So it's, Weird, because like I know people who make more money doing that, and then I know other people who make more money on indie stuff because they don't have to share anything. So it, it's such a, it's just do what you're passionate about, and then try and find a way to make a little bit of money off of it. Not to go not one way, not to go too far down the previous round <laughs> hole, but it did come up in the chat when we were talking about it earlier, and so I do want to circle mm-hmm. back to the indie versus not indie conversation. <laughs> When we were talking about indie versus non-indie, I think we were more focused on publishing companies, yeah. not individual writers. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I think oh, that like mm-hmm. even people who are writing for D&D content on DMs Guild, I think you'd still consider those indie yes. writers mm-hmm. where they've basically written their own independent creation. They just happen to use a marketplace that part of the fee of using that marketplace is you have to pay the publishing company. Like mm-hmm. That is a deal that Wizards has created with DMs Guild specifically of like, we're so big that people want to write content for our stuff, we would love to profit off of that. So we use they use DMs Guild as a way of doing that, of being like, cool, we'll profit, but you also profit. But that is pretty independently created stuff. That's not... Yeah. When we were talking about indie versus non-indie, I think we really meant like... like is, com- yeah. Does yeah. Hunters count as indie or not? Like, I think we kind of... It's kind of in the middle. It's murky. It's also tough yeah. because like... Are we saying indie or not, or are we saying like success, like like profitable or not? Yeah, like, there you go. Like there is that, that is like yeah. weird. It's a weird murky area, and unfortunately, yeah. I think with gaming especially, and when yeah. you're using IP especially, it's really hard to say what is yeah. or isn't. Like like I think part of why Happy Jacks is indie is because you actively don't court any sponsorship or yeah. or IP payment for doing things. Yeah. Whereas like I think like like 
the now defunct, I don't know if you would say Saving Throw wasn't indie because we had sponsored shows from D&D mm-hmm. like, I, or Pathfinder. I like, it, yeah, it's still pretty it. indie. Yeah. 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 So. There's still that whole other, well, everybody had another job qualifier. So. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's possible for people to live full-time off of yes. their studio oh, yeah. and it still is. be indie. Yeah. That's yeah. what I yeah. want to totally. like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I think it comes back to the overlord thing. Like, how many overlords do you actually have? Because, like, in the same vein, Queensport, uh, well, yeah, but Jax is very anti having a sponsor. Queen's Court just sponsored stuff. And it is a thing of like, when we do it, we kind of have the overlord of like, this is how we're, what we're like, this is what we propose. And they're like, all right, well, these are the things that we will give you for that. Or this is yeah. what we'd like mm-hmm. you to do. But even, even then, I, I wouldn't say Queen's Court's not in, in the. Oh, Queen's Court's yeah. aggressively in the. We yeah. make money. <laughs> We're like aggressively, aggressively in the. We're like yeah. giving the bird. Uh, the yeah, happy Jax. No! Like, I'm <laughs> I would consider, yeah. and maybe I don't know enough about the ownership of the company. I could be wrong with this entirely, but I would think of Evil Hat as an indie game company. Yeah. yeah. Hat, like yeah. they have enough money to sponsor games. So yeah. like they must be doing at least, I don't know if Evil Hat has day jobs or they not. Do. They, but, they, they do. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 independently wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> like, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, bring, I think kind of bringing it back to writing, I sort of consider almost all writers in the TTRPG space indie. Because they're either freelance, so yes, they're writing for Wizards of the Coast, but like I said, it's like, it's very much a gig thing, a gig economy. You're like, you're hired for this book. And then you might get hired for the next book, or maybe not. So I still feel like the writers themselves are indie, even if the company isn't indie. Mm -hmm. Or you're like, you know what you're saying just a second ago about DMs Guild, where you're totally indie and like... Hey, take take forty percent of my profits so that I can use your name. I think most writers working in most spaces are actually indie writers. Like I think like the rare examples might be someone who has been like a staff writer for like a news article, or like a news agency or whatever, and you actually have a salary job and you're mm-hmm. there. That might not be considered indie, but most writers do work on a contract basis. And if yeah. you work on a contract yeah. basis, it's hard to say you're not an indie writer. Yeah, so. yeah mm-hmm. I'm like truly like just digging through my brain, like a single writer who has like a salaried position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. Like, like, like I write freelance for Nerdist. I'm an indie writer, even though the writing I do is is being paid for by Legendary. Yeah. But Nerdist does have staff writers and editors who work yeah. on the Legendary payroll, and I don't, yeah. I don't think they would be considered indie writers. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 All right. But Wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can keep going. Sorry, I was going to start the next email. I, I I misread the pause. I no, 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 you're good. I will always fill a pause. So can yeah, I yeah. can I take on. another minute? Yeah. 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 All uh, the time. Because. <laughs> Because Can you I mentioned, actually answer the question? <laughs> well, no, no, no. Uh, because you mentioned, you know, releasing... Are you releasing talking, you're talking back to Mike again? Yeah, okay. talking back to Mike. Yeah, sorry. Because you mentioned releasing on the DMs Guild, so there are a couple of important things to remember. Your topic has a platform, right? Or each platform has its own, like, stipulations. So if you're going to release at the DMs Guild and you're interested about like you're interested with not necessarily making that profit share with say wizards of the coast whatever just remember that if you want to write with any of the wizards of the coast ip like writing within the forgotten realms or writing with a particular monster that is specific to dnd the only place you're going to be able to publish material without getting slapped down is the dms guild and that's why people publish in the dms guild either that or maybe they just don't know that there are other places to do it right but if you're going to do completely original material based on 5th edition, you can publish your drive through RPG and not pay as big a, a royalty, you know, not pay as big a profit share. You can publish on Itch, you can publish on your own website, and, like, 
get everything for yourself if mm-hmm. you do it for your own website. Yeah. And you can also like file the serial numbers off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the tentacle floating eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is absolutely stuff that is The observer. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. blinker, if you will. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the octopus brain eating thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so no, so just be mindful too. I mean, do your be research on, on oh, the plat. Yeah. <laughs> The mindful layer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. F I L E T. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Which you can have because it's Lent right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, perfect. But. Should I go? I should go. No, no. no. Go on that I'm here for that. Like, like, I'm out. I don't know if there's Cheers. Better. Yeah, I don't know if there's better than that, but I still want you to leave. <laughs> Dead. So yeah, yeah. Like do your research on whatever platform you want to publish in. If you're seriously, if you're just going to publish your own homebrew setting, you don't have to go through the DMs Guild. The DMs Guild. There are pros to that because there's a huge audience on the DMs Guild, but there are other ways to do it too. Yeah. Imagining <laughs> branding your whole thing around like "fuck you, big publishers." Like <laughs> that's a look. You could do it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we've done. Literally, I, just, I know. Hold on, I just a yeah. the bird and <laughs> true. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. I'm half terrified of going to Gamma and like people being like, oh, wait, you're that person. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. I've been so. This looks familiar. Yeah. I feel like I recognize you, Puzzle. Yeah. Oh, no. The double bird, like the (laughs) Kadane flipping off. I was going to say the. Stu may have retired from Happy Jacks, but the grumpy old old man energy still remains. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the legacy. It is the legacy of the grumpy well, old man. Well, when your heart beats under the floorboards of the place, it's eventually going <laughs> to oh, fill out into the thoughts. I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mailbag number two. Who wants to read this? I'm not doing it. I mean, not <laughs> it. Are you ready? Okay. I can take it. I can. <laughs> LOLO, Happy Jackers. Charger 347 here with another email. This time on the topic of where's the line on how complicated I should make my magical items. I've always been very imaginative, but also admittedly a bit persnickety about magic MacGuffins I hand out. When I make magic items, I always want to have mechanics to make them flavorful, but I often make them overly complex. Philia. It's like the difference between a decent sub sandwich, which expertly pairs a handful of complimentary meats, cheeses, and sauces, Versus the monstrosity that was the Arby's Meat Mountain. Pointless side tangent. I will admit that I did decimate a meat mountain in one sitting back in my day, as it was the fashion of the time. But I digress. Have you tried a mind fillet? Like, get two for three dollars. Okay. Fantasy Arby. Anywho. Oh, Lord. Anywho. I feel the best thing to remember when flavoring magic items is that there's a fine line between a mechanic... Wait, what was that? The best thing for flavor magic items is horsey. Horsey. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry we get through this. Oh my god. I will, I will oh. not look at you while you read it. Okay, I'm sorry. Side digression. I love Arby's. I do too. You know, I, I adore know. Arby's. Yeah, There's yeah. not enough yeah, in LA. So. Oh, yeah. There's only one yeah. over here that didn't have a drive through which is a terrible choice to make. Yeah, for a car. Seriously. Anyway, sorry. This okay, is yeah, email, sorry. So I will let you Charger 347. We greatly apologize. You know what? That's your fault bringing up bringing Arby's. Up our yeah. house. Very yeah. hungry right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. All seriously. Right. Anywho, in the email, I feel the best thing to remember when flavoring magic items is that there's a fine line between a mechanic and a complication. For example, Years ago, I wanted to make a pair of magical swords that were magically linked and polarly opposed. One fire and one ice. Simple enough, but also pretty boring. 
I First of all, I disagree with that. You just saw it. I just saw it. I just saw it. It's Tritz. It's Tritz. So it's, yeah. Okay. All right. So I added a mechanic that the two swords were linked in such a way that attacks from one blade would power up the other. That's pretty cool. Using a super simplistic and, in all honesty, not realistic version of thermodynamics, I devised a system where the fire sword would pull heat from the cold sword and the cold sword would funnel heat into the fire sword. Oh, this yeah, is simple like that. enough. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that's okay. awesome. That's really cool. And then, and I'm sure that's the end of it. And that's the end of the. <laughs> yeah, it's not complicated at all. This is simple enough and would work fine, but I decided to add another mechanic to this system in which instead of two swords, another version of this concept could use a weapon connected to an article of armor instead. The weapon would either inflict cold damage and offer cold resistance by forcing heat into the armor or inflict heat damage and offer heat resistance by siphoning heat out of the armor and making it colder. And here's where I should have stopped. And if I had, I might have actually gotten around to using them in a game but I kept on adding more and more mechanics and ultimately made them too complicated for someone who wasn't me, a person who had the damn magic item concept floating around in his head for the last few months at the time. I made it so different weapons and armors could swapped out on the fly. I made different mods that could be attached that would increase output and reduce cooldown. I added special attacks abilities to the weapons, attacks slash abilities to the weapon. Uh, weapons so that I could justify the concept of having cooldowns that could be decreased. I just kept going on and on and on. Wow. You created a subclass. Yeah. 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 Subclass. Or you made a really cool weapon for a video game where all the, yeah. where the computer does all the crunching. Yeah. I did the cardinal sin of creation. I let perfection become the enemy of completion. I added too much complication, way more than anyone would want to learn the mechanics for. So. I leave you with this advice. Oh, they're giving us advice in the show. Isn't that nice? We're excited. Make your magical items interesting, but also reasonable. <laughs> For example, my favorite magical item I have ever created. For example, my favorite <laughs> magical item that I have ever created. The Sucker's Stone. Oh my. Wild. Okay, you indulge us. You don't have to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> It was a good voice. Is that related to like the Dune popcorn bucket or something? I don't know. I'm convinced. Go. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna plow through that right now don't because stop. we need to. Don't we say plow. Convinced. <laughs> I'm gonna put on the gravity toss voice again. You convinced. Talk while you were gone. <laughs> we had the meat. Convinced with the historical and factual first pebbles in mind. I honestly have no idea where this is going to go in the next two paragraphs. Each sentence of this letter is a, is a gold mine. It's a journey. <laughs> Charge of 347, I love you. I, yeah. <laughs> just, it's just like, I never know what you're going to say next. <laughs> convinced, with the historical, uh, convinced with the historical and factual thirst pebbles in mind, thirst pebbles being small, smooth stones that people put under their tongues to force themselves to salivate, Allowing someone to trick themselves into not being as thirsty because it keeps the mouth moist with saliva. Okay. The sucker's stone is a magically enchanted stone that, when placed under the tongue, generates a flavorless, nutrient rich, sloppy gruel that, as long as it remains in the creature's mouth, staves off hunger and thirst. Wow. As a very OD&D kind of yeah. magic item, if you ask me. God stops. That, that is the no. nastiest God stops. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking with all of this. No, I, I'm... That's not what they're trouble. Kimmy, you and I are in the same band. I don't know. 
Why am I thinking all the dirty things like, oh, oh, I can write a terrible verse. About- Why would I need more saliva? <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Bumble True in the chat just just wrote, I don't know if I'm grossed out or aroused. <laughs> you know what? That's how you know it's a good night. There's uh yeah, why not both? A little bit of both. Yeah. Both exist at the same time. A lot, actually. Okay. The fun mechanic to the sucker stone is that the gruel is so offensively bland and flavorless that the user must make checks every hour to maintain the willpower to keep the sucker stone in their mouths. I cannot I speak. So I cannot speak of this. I'm reading this or, and not me. I cannot speak to this it, this conflict. But anyway. Oh God! Um, Help our editor. Thank you. We love you. Sorry. Good. You know what? Bless yeah. you. You don't. I think you're not going to edit. Just put it out. Just, be okay. Yeah. With it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just accept the laugh. Yeah. Amazing. Otherwise, <laughs> the user must spit the stone out and wait an hour before they can use it again. <laughs> Look, just give me just give me an hour it'll be okay that's what i need i need a moment <laughs> of course just, they'd be spitting at the end of that oh god be warned though each unsuccessful check increases the difficulty of using the stone again until the user has eaten a full satisfying meal to reset their palate okay pineapple perhaps yeah oh god right. okay after the stone you dip the stone in pineapple yeah. yeah you got this we're you got so this. glad you got this. We're with you. Two more paragraphs. It's, it's a simple mechanic. It has a simple mechanic and a simple enough complication to make it interesting, but ultimately not unfeasible. Unfeasible, Jesus. Not unfeasible. Jesus. Hopefully you all got a kick out of this silly little magic item. I think, I think, we, think did. we did. Success. Good Thank job. you. And maybe I helped foster a little thought worm that will become one of y'all's new favorite magical item that y'all create for yourselves. Best? Charger 347 on the Discord. Yeah, I wouldn't sign my real name to that either. <laughs> How little or big was the thought worm? So, Charger, you know, you've it, ruined it. It's not this. imagine a size of the thought worm. It's what you do with the <laughs> thought worm. What you do with the thought worm. I love that you're actually crying. If you look at it, you're like, I should call him. The thought worm is not a DD IP, by the way, so you don't have to publish that on the DMs. Yeah, that's all yours. Oh, man. Put that on DMs, Gil. You'll make a fortune. Oh my god! Oh man! Sorry, what was the question? No, it I don't like it. One question that was just... sharing wisdom and a, a hilarious story. It's yeah. I don't know whether I should it. have read this here or on Pornhub or something. Yeah, I think anyway. the, uh, the yeah. Jack Dolly fans. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Happy Jacks after dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy Jacks. Oh my gosh, that was right. wild. That was I so love. good. Yeah, I so wanted I think, to like, drink so bad. We can distill this down into a thirsty stone of a nugget of an idea. It's basically that, Don't like, sometimes... I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I, I knew. I was aware of what it was I was... Yeah, don't act like I don't know. So um, is that basically, like, sometimes you have an idea for an item and you just keep adding mechanics to it yeah. until it becomes a thing that no player wants to touch. And basically the idea is that your magic item should never become, like, a hindrance to role-playing. It mm-hmm. never become a hindrance to mm-hmm. game flow. So, like, this Sucker Stone, even though it was definitely a hindrance to conversation at the table... It makes sense. It's like, okay, here's how it functions. Here's the way it's a problem in your day. And that's the end of it. Whereas the like the swords started out great. But yeah, you're right. After a while, you're like, okay, well, now I'm adding an armor. Now I do this. Now you're like, you're, you're adding an entirely new way for someone to like design their fighting styles around it. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah, I think like I made that mistake. I will say with the magic item, 
I love magic items. I love creating them in games. I love creating them as gifts for players. Yeah. I like to give a player a magic item on their birthday or near their birthday oh. anyway, if I can, if I have a group going. And I had a player, I ran a game that didn't last during the pandemic over Zoom with people who had never played D&D before. And so a lot of them, like the way that I get new players to think of how to like build their characters is I ask them about pop culture characters they really like. Mm-hmm. And then I like explain to them, like, here's how I break that character down into a D&D class or yeah. something else. Sometimes people take it very literally and they make a D&D character that's based on, which I've done too, so it's very fine with that. But so I had a player who was playing essentially Green Arrow mm-hmm. and had made a ranger and was like really excited about playing like an archer based character. And I was like, you know, what's really fun about Green Arrow is in the comics, at least Green Arrow has a bunch of really wild and interesting fun arrows. So I was like, I'm going to make a cool quiver where when you pull an arrow out, you roll a dice to find out what random item that is. The problem with it is now you have to make a chart of like mm-hmm. 10 different arrows mm-hmm. and you have to make the person roll on it so then then you have to be like okay what i'm going to do instead is have you just roll the start of the day to know what arrows are in your quiver and like but like the problem is then you get to a point where like some of these are really op and i don't want to <laughs> give my player access to a whole bag of exploding arrows yeah. mm-hmm. that they permanently have so then i was like okay well now i'm going to make it so you only get three a day you have to feed arrows to it and then it's like like there's special things where if you roll a natural 20 you get a full one of each if you roll one, the whole thing destroyed. Like, like after a while, the person's like, I'm never going to use this because I don't know what the hell is happening anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the, the solution I have, a friend of mine helped me build a birthday weapon, which was a gun of wonder, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we mad libsed the effect. Yeah. yeah. So you, it cool. was like, you rolled three times and you got this damage, this type of damage for this, like... Yeah. And, like, and that kind of solved the, like, Let's all the tape, the chart thing, because instead of pre-figuring out what all your arrows did, it was like something funk is going to happen. Yeah. But you do have to buy into that whimsy. Yeah. It is yeah. it is a very chaotic, wild magic sorcerer stuff. I think that plays better people who already know the system well and are comfortable mm-hmm. with it. I think when Absolutely. you have a newer player, it's a little bit tough to be like, hey, this arrow, yeah. you know what's going to happen when you fire it. Yeah. yeah. And you have to be comfortable enough to be like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to enjoy doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. like you could have, again, the rod of wonder in D&D has that too. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love wild magic. Um, yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah. I was still in the last email and you said rod. No, no. Rod. It was great. I, yeah, <laughs> you're right. I did. Rod of wonder. That is the name of my team. Rod of wonder. It was not a small thought worm. Yeah. No. The, Again, it's not the size of the thought word. No. Yeah. <laughs> I like, use I the rod. rod of wonder. Ironically, similarly, the other magic item I made to that group, well, I made a couple, but one of them that was very similar to this in a less dirty way, the Sucker Stone, mm-hmm. is I had a character who constantly, as her character, would ask if people had sandwiches. So I gave her a magic item that was a sandwich, and it was a, ba- a sandwich bag, and every day when you open it, there's a new oh, sandwich. Oh, I love it, those. It's essentially Lambus bread. Where yeah. Yeah. You, you're now fed for the day, and I made it basically a replaceable potion of healing but like, yeah once they eat the sandwich and you're healed for this much damage and like mm-hmm. that was a perfect like way to like here's your, a cool thing for your character and, i love yeah. that i'm a big fan of any kind of useless item i oh, love yeah. a cup that is always full of a beverage that you want at the time it's yeah. done yeah listen never ending sandwich mint yeah yeah my actual like jumping off this is actually something that you could use in your own shit is i love an item that's like a plus one to something but it needs to be fed. And <laughs> yeah. that means it needs a role play thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a, not to, 
in my home game. I have I, like one of my big like joke items that I'll build for people are like weapons and things that have separation anxiety. Oh, <laughs> yes. So yeah. like, awesome. yeah, it's like this sword will cry if you do not like, if you do not, if you're not holding it. Yeah. Like, so, Dungeons and Daddies <laughs> is a great one where it was a sentient weapon that also judged you for the murders you were going to commit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like it, would add, it, was like, it was like a Nietzschean sword. Yeah. It was very funny. Like it would Yeah. Oh, oh, what's this the reason you want? Oh, by the way, Rose in the chat just mentioned the Cloak of Billowing, which is what I was going to yeah, say. Cloak the Cloak of, of Billowing is, is one of my favorite non-useful like useful items. Yeah. Like, it's it's all roleplay. My favorite roleplay, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but there's a D&D magic item that is just a a pipe that when you smoke it, it basically is the Gandalf, like, ships going. Oh, it's like cool. yeah, You can just yeah. make whatever weird shapes you want with yeah. the pipe. And, like, there's no actual mechanical benefit to it. If I'm a DM, I'll give somebody like persuasion or or like yeah, yeah, yeah. but otherwise they want to try to distract someone with it or something like that. It's just a fun thing. Like yeah. you blow in a pipe and it makes cool shapes with yeah. smoke. It's like what a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, cloak of billowing. Just I think of like all my cosplay days where it was like someone awkwardly throwing your cape and then running out of the picture. So you take pictures. Yeah, I have been yeah. the arm that it out. That's how you get all those amazing like flying pictures and stuff like that. It's like no, it's just awkward like tons yeah. of awkward i would do anything for for a oh. cloak of billowing oh but, i do love a real item that's that is functional but it's the amulet yeah. of the drunkard where if you drink oh. a pint of beer you're healed like it's, it's a healing it, it turns one pint of beer a day into uh-huh. a potion of healing basically nice. <laughs> it's really yeah, that's, awesome. that's amazing but yeah i love any weapon any item that requires role play to go with it. yeah yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. yeah. I'm, I'm the same way i want mm-hmm. anything to have like yeah i think yeah. too like if you're creating an item if it does start getting a little too cumbersome, just think about how you can scale that back. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, but certainly, like, let your imagination run wild. Yeah. Right? What I will say is that sometimes an item with one interesting effect, like, that's a little simpler, but but has one interesting effect that kind of subverts the way the game is played, is much more interesting than, like, the big, Agreed. epic, legendary item that controls all the undead and has them make you all the sandwiches and take you to all the Arby's <laughs> and whatnot. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, um, man. Bag of Arby's. I'm always a fan of a, of a magic item that lets you change one letter in a spell and change what the, like, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, I've seen a few awesome. versions of that. It's always very fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I work for the Hero Workshop, and we're a group of DMs who run D&D for kids as part of after-school programs. And we were sitting around having our weekly meeting, and we all kind of collectively came up with the idea of, you know, the, there are the bag of beans in D&D. We came up with the, the bag of Sean Beans <laughs> and whenever something is going to deal you a killing blow, you grab a bean out of the bag and you throw it, and Sean Bean will take the hit for you. That's but it's got to be related to like whatever movie it is. So if you're getting plugged with arrows, you pull out the bag of you need the board Lord board of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Sean Bean. And you know if you're if you're about to you know fall off a large structure, you pull the Golden Eye Sean oh, Bean. So wow. Good. If you're about to take like slashing damage to the head, you pull the Game of Thrones that's Sean so Bean. Fun. Yeah. That was a lot that's of fun. Good. The Argyle bag of Sean Beans. I like that a lot. I love it. Yeah. All right. The wand of spell check. Oh, my God. Ooh, the wand of autocorrect. That's what it could be. There is is a magic item spell. In Baldur's Gate 3, there's a magic item called the the Staff of the Mumbling Mage. And the way that it works is normally it just gives you Firebolt with a question mark. Firebolt? And like it gives you the access to the Firebolt cantrip. 
but like one out of every six times it does fireball, fireball. instead of fireball. <laughs> oh. so like free fireball, but you don't know when. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, man, I have I a that story shit. about that. Yeah. I, yeah. One of my one of my earliest games, and we can I know we're gonna wrap up, but I speaking of magic of, of wild magic. Mm-hmm. One of my, my first 5e game that I played in, I was a wild magic sorcerer. And like our second or third session, I had a wild magic surge. And it was a level five fireball went flying out of my center on you and yeah. almost TPK'd our entire party. It only yeah. didn't because we just out of pure luck. I mean, I was still alive because it went out of my out of me, but out of pure luck, we had a guest player that session who was already playing a bard. And so luckily we had somebody who was still alive who had healing spells. <laughs> oh my yeah. God, my character carrying a bunch of dead bodies out of this cave. I have yeah. been playing around a lot with the wild magic sorcerer bit <clears> stuff, <throat> and it is. It ruins any plots, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That was so fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us for season 33, episode 10. Please support our amazing indie designer of the month, Anna Landon. Um, and you can find her at annalandon.itch.io. If you go there, you can also find a link to her Patreon where you can get all her games for $5 a month. Thank you to our chat mod, James V who worked really hard in chat tonight because there was uh, some uh, messy bots. And our amazing patrons who keep us ad-free and independent and able to flip off all the sponsors. <laughs> Actually, you have a day job. so I do have a day job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we are, we are funded by the California state government. Uh, and the letter U. Yeah, and the letter U. <laughs> I'm a teacher. That's a joke. Like, I, like I'm you. paid by tax I was going for Sesame Street, but I also oh, appreciate you. Okay, well. thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And then and the audience yeah. is you. And you. Yeah. By you. Patreons. So join at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. I can remember those things. Happyjacks.org slash Patreon. My name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. My name is Jay. My name is Clara. <laughs> and today we're going to leave you with a song called, if I'd known, like, this is going to be such a naughty episode, I would have left with a naughty song, but I didn't. I already put it in there. And it's uh, Jenny of the Old Stones, which is a beautiful, mm. that is a Jenny, Jenny of the Sucker Stone. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 that's, that's my okay. okay, you're right. Uh, it is by a group called the Mary Sues, and you can find them at marysuesband.com. And if you listen to the cool guitar playing, and it's me. So, thank you all so much, and we will see you next week because it has stopped raining. Because so. mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll be next week will be. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we will be. Oh, yeah. Live, 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 live show. Yeah. Show will be on Saturday night, 7 30, and it's it usually gets a little off the rails, so it'll be fun. I don't know it'll what you're great. talking about. I don't know. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. As opposed to tonight, which was very on the rails. Very rail. on the rails. Well, yeah. There's a live studio audience, so there's like a lot more variables for yeah. a while. It's yeah. literally just Oh, I'm not, I'm not running an off. I'm running a, that, that same night you're doing that, I'm running my Doctor Who live show mm-hmm. at Galley One that yeah. doesn't begin on a rail. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like we can't kidnap you for like an hour. I'll yeah. literally be doing my show at the time. Yeah, I think yeah. How dare. Yeah. Yeah. How dare. I'll be just finishing up interviewing Alex Kingston and then going mm-hmm. and doing my show. So oh, I, cool. you you could not get me out of that no. that building with a forklift. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would be grabbing every possible surface I could. Scrabbling like when you pick up your cat. They're like, yeah. wow. All right. <laughs> we love you. We'll see you next week on Saturday. Bye. High in the halls of the kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghosts. The ones she had lost and the ones she had found and the ones who had loved her the most. The ones who'd been gone for so very long she couldn't remember their names. Spun her around.
stones spun away from all sorrow and pain and she never wanted to is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. Mm-hmm.